Good morning and welcome. It's the Patriot Radio News Hour live on this Monday, July the 10th. It goes by so fast. I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group, and it was hot. Wow, was it really hot here in Phoenix the last several days. You know what? Humid and hot, which is it's never a good combination. And uh, I know it caught me off guard. It caught a lot of people off guard. But it's supposed to eventually cool back down uh, five whole days, right? No short work week this week. I know it's uh, the worst day of the week. It's Monday. I'm Joe Jaquin, CEO of the Patriot Trading Group. Our toll-free number, 800-951-0592. The physical delivery of wealth insurance. It's what we do. Uh, the metals plan, just an update. We are moving along. I'm I'm fairly confident we will be done uh, by Friday. We have uh, most of the... Pretty much all the plans now under $600 are out, and we'll get through the rest of them, I believe, this week. Uh, By the way, thank you very much. A new all-time record high for the metals plan. Yeah, this this quarter uh, was the largest quarter yet. Uh, If you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, or if you do know what I'm talking about and haven't done it yet or want more information, go out to our website at allamericangold.com. Along the top there, you'll see uh, the the page, the About Us, uh, the shopping cart. You'll also see the metals plan. Click on that thing. It'll give you all the details. And uh, just a fine, fantastic way uh, to get into these markets. Uh, but before we get into the show, you know what? Uh, it happens, probably happens to any anybody out there that has sons. You know, yesterday... We're sitting around the house and we're bored, and we decided, hey, let's let's all go in the pool. And the pool, the you know, the pool's like a bath. It re- <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, it, it's in the our pool anyway. It's it's in the nineties. Yeah, if you can believe that. But we we play. Uh, you know, we got one of those basketball hoops. You know, and the pool is. You know, it's not that deep. It's probably you know four feet, three feet, three to four feet where the hoop is, and we play, uh, you know, we play pool basketball, which is really nothing more than uh, strongest guy wins, and yesterday I found out I am no longer the strongest guy in the house, as my uh, 17-year-old went through me like butter, I sprained my fat, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I was in all kinds of agony, <laughs> and I was trying as hard as I could, and I was doing all the tricks. You know, you know, you start cheating a little bit, right? You 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 bend the rules a little bit, and, and even all of that, I try. I tried it all. I tried all the tricks, and I got whooped. The bad part was I didn't even finish second. Even my youngest one, my fourteen-year-old took advantage of me so it's a sad day i need to i need to recover i need to feel better about myself so hopefully some of you will take pity on me and and call and do some business with us uh we got a great show lined up where we want to talk about uh where i guess now that these flash i don't know if they're over but i guess the flash crash in gold and then of course last week the flash crash in silver and now all of these quote-unquote analysts 
who I've never heard of, and it really doesn't matter, are all saying that, okay, well, that now it looks like we've hit the bottom. We'll see if we have. Who knows? Uh, I guess the best way to look at it is, is hey, insurance got a lot cheaper. Uh, we're going to talk about the economist and the new world order and talking about cryptocurrencies and how soon is it going to happen. And I'll say this, I guess just a, you know, we, we, we know this is where it's heading, uh, but this is a, a, I guess, one person's spin on how it's going to work, and it was a way that I didn't think of uh, that I think is pretty important because I think it actually makes a lot of sense, so we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about the new target of the Federal Reserve, as Janet Yellen's going to be testifying in front of Congress uh, this week. Uh, we'll also get retail sales. Uh, CPI data is going to come out this week as well. Really no economic reports were out today, uh, but, but the new target of the Federal Reserve appears to be the equity markets. Uh, and we're going to talk about why that is, uh, what is, I guess, whether it's froth in the market or irrational exuberance or all of these other things that we've seen before. Uh, we're going to take a look at, at how this happens, why it happens, and what is ultimately going to be the end game. Uh, so we got all of that coming up. And then, oh, yeah, by the way, Sears, you know, we, we keep talking about them. They announced 43 more store closures. So Sears has a new plan, which is kind of better than the old plan. The old plan was you'd come out and you'd announce hundreds of store closings, which Sears did at the beginning of this year. Uh, but, like, every four to six weeks now, Sears announces more store closings. Uh, this last week, Sears said we're going to close 43 more stores for you here in town. Uh, there was still a, I think it was a Kmart, when I say Sears, Sears and Kmart, at the freeway, at a, the I-17 freeway, I think it was at Northern. You know, it was kind of like a homeless encampment there. Uh, that one is closing. I know it's uh, shocking that it made it that long. Uh, but, yeah, 43 more, and then probably in another month we'll announce uh, another 40 or 50 uh, store closings as they slowly get to. Remember, and I told all of you this earlier in the year, they have to get to the end of August uh, before they can actually file for bank. doesn't mean they're going to right then, but they have to due to some, uh, I guess, swapping of uh, – stores and things of that nature. But Patriot Radio News Hour got a really interesting show lined up for you. Don't touch that dial. Patriot Radio News Hour, our toll-free number, 800-951-0592. Whether you're buying, selling, or trading, uh, we are here for you. Just a quick look here. Silver's up 16 cents today. Uh, $15.53. Gold's up as well. Gold's up uh, just under 3 bucks, uh, $1,212. And Wall Street's up, uh, last I checked, it was up about 20 points. 30 years from now, Americans, Japanese, Europeans, and people in many other rich countries, and and I guess, you know, rich is a relative word. Like, uh, just ask Warren Buffett. He'll tell you how rich we really are. 
and some relatively poor ones will probably be paying for their shopping with the same currency. Prices will be quoted not in dollars or yen or Deutschmarks, but in, let's say, the Phoenix. Okay, so this is what they, he was calling the currency. The Phoenix will be favored by companies and shoppers because it'll be more convenient than today's national currency. And really, when you think about it, right, convenience is in. You know, I was watching this commercial over the weekend where uh, a lady's at the supermarket and she forgot her list, right? She forgot her, her, her shopping list. And they're, you know, they're acting like, like what a horrible traumatic event. Right? Right? It's just terrible. The, the end of the world. I forgot my list. And she then gets on her cell phone, her smartphone. I guess, should we call them that? I guess they should be called smartphones now. And she's able to, I don't know, for lack of a better term, call her refrigerator. <laughs> and is able to look inside of it so she can then make the list. Of course, doesn't really help you with the stuff that's in the pantry or the toiletries or any of that other stuff. But who cares? Right? It ended up being a commercial for a refrigerator. And just think about how much more convenient that will be. Right? I mean, pretty soon, right, they're working on it to where the refrigerator is going to be able to talk to probably be Amazon, right? They'll just talk to Amazon. They'll order it all for you. And then the next day, boom, the stuff will be at your front door. Right? Oh, they do that already, see? I'm, oh, grocery stores deliver. But, yeah, but does the refrigerator make the call to the groceries? That's coming, right? Because, heaven forbid, we can't even have time for that. But, yes, the it'll be more convenient. And they said that the, it'll seem uh, uh, a cost where they're saying, and I just want to get this right, the disruption, uh, disruption of economic life in the last of the 20th century. This actually was an article that appeared in 1988 in Outlandish Prediction. And the funny thing was, is as I was reading through this article, it's really spot on. You know, the timing's always hard, right? Just kind of like with with uh, the equity markets and the dollar and the debt, right? We all know. I mean, we know. Eventually, what? It's, it becomes unpayable, doesn't get paid. It's happened every single time, and the currency disappears. And And I've been saying for the last several years, this is probably how it's going to happen. The biggest change in the world economy is that the flow of money has been replaced in trade and goods and the force that drives exchange rates. And, and really, you know, you start thinking about 
right? We we talk about the baskets of currencies and there's the dollar up today or down today, is the euro up today or down today. Think about the euro. You know, back in nineteen eighty eight when that article was written, there was no euro. So we're already we already kinda have it. But one of the things that it talks about is how it's going to work. And this is probably uh, the most important part for us is how is all of this going to occur? They say at, that the national economic boundaries are slowly dissolving, right? And we, we see that all the time. Right? Look at the trade, right? We're trying desperately to what? To try to go back to some form of, of, uh, of, borders and boundaries and of course we we see all the resistance all over the place the appeal of a currency union across at least the main industrial countries will seem irresistible to everybody and think about that statement irresistible to everybody when do those things happen, right? You think about when does big change like gold confiscation, right? Why was that irresistible to everybody? Because we're in the throes of what the great, you know, the Great Depression, and this is what they told you was going to be the salvation. And you start thinking about where we sit today. Right, and all of them, and he's right because they focus like the industrialized countries. We're all in the same boat, aren't we? Right, gone is the way they were hoping it was going to work. Right, that was the old uh, buy and hold. Uh, when you get to fifty-five, you go into bonds, you live off the interest. Right, the old methodology, uh, which has been totally obliterated. Right, we had some, and all of them did. Had some years where it looked like, oh wait, we're going to get the debts under control, only for them to blow back out again. And now we're sitting here, and now uh, the Federal Reserve has said the equity markets is now uh, public enemy number one. Right, we're getting all the same comments that we got back in the in the late '90s, and of course, uh, well, not so much from Ben Bernanke uh, in '0506. After it occurred, he, well, you know, froth, right? We, as he used froth. Uh, Alan Greenspan used irrational exuberance, and, and we're kind of here again. The difference is all these countries are there, right? It's not just us. It's not just Greece or Spain or Italy or France or Japan or Germany or England, right? It's everybody. And and, uh, and he says that the the Phoenix Zone. So I don't know what it will be called, right? We, I think we know Bitcoin is what the most popular of them. And right now, what is it used for? Right, it's used what to to pay for ransom. Right, it's really a blackmail device. I mean, that's really what it is. Right, the the big run up in the price, as I said last week, ended up being all of these companies buying coins to to pay ransomware. Now that's not the only reason. I know there's there's some people out there. You're diehard uh, cryptocurrency fans. That's great. 
I'm not I'm not here to judge it. I don't know all the facts and the ins and outs of it. I do know that it's coming. And the reason why it's coming is because it's going to be another way for the central banks to get control. And and so when we look at where it is, it'll be favored, they say, by companies and shoppers and everybody else out there. And, and I apologize as my uh, Internet just... Uh, went left on me. You know, that's the one thing about uh, at least the internet connection here. Randomly for like five or ten seconds, it'll just and then it comes right back. See, and here you go. So we're right back now. So let me get back to my to my spot here. So they say that in the Phoenix zone economic adjustments that's a nice word to shifts in relative prices would happen smoothly and automatically. See, that doesn't that sound great, right? I guess we don't have to wait every six weeks for a Federal Reserve announcement, and then two weeks later they'll release the minutes, and then a week after that they're going to go testify in front of Congress, right? We can do away with all that stuff. Hey, we don't need that anymore. Now we can just do it by by a couple of strokes to the keypad. No problem. Rather, so it says it'll happen smoothly and automatically, rather as it does today, you know, and you can kind of question that, but uh, today between different regions within large economies, the absence of all currency risk would spur trade, investment and employment okay so now think again go back to why it would be that we would want something like this and of course they give you the promises right trade investment employment right hey it's going to get the economy going again the phoenix zone is okay, so remember this would be the the world currency would impose tight constraints on national government. There would be no such thing, for instance, as a national monetary policy. And again, going to that new world order type, one world bank, one world economy type system, kind of kind of the the thing that, that we kind of are fighting against right now. And it said that the world's Phoenix supply would be fixed by a new central bank. This guy says maybe a descendant, some descendant of the IMF, which is where I, you know, and I've been, and I've been saying I think the IMF is going to be the key player in all of this. And it says that the world inflation rate, and hence within narrow margins, each national inflation rate would be in its charge. And this is kind of the thing that I've been talking about. You know, we we sit there and we listen to, and it doesn't matter which Fed governor, right, whether it's Janet Yellen or any of the others, talk about, oh, the inflation rate, inflation, 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 we don't have enough inflation. 
And just because they move interest rates higher doesn't mean we get them. Just because they move them lower doesn't mean we get them. See, remember the old economic models are all broken. All of us grew up with a federal funds rate probably around seven. You know, we, it's been higher and lower, of course, but it'd be somewhere around six or seven. The economy would slow down, and maybe we'd even go into a recession, and they would lower the rate to four. Right, maybe a real bad one. Maybe you got into the threes. And it probably would have been high threes, right? Maybe a three seven five or something like that. And of course the 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 economic model told us that by doing this, lowering of the rates, it would spur demand wait, well I'll use the, the their terminology. It would spur trade, investment and employment. And ergo, caused inflation. Right? Things would go, wages would go up, the cost of goods would go up, right? That was, right? And then if it got too, right, inflation got too hot, they would raise them. Right? To try to cool it down again. Now they're saying, hey, with a new world order, we can do even better. Patriot Radio News Hour. We'll be back after the break. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, here's Ryan Haidt. We needn't look further than Wisconsin to see the positive results of voter integrity reforms. In the 2016 presidential election, Wisconsin enforced strong new voter ID requirements to prohibit voting by illegals, felons, out-of-staters, and double voters. This new Wisconsin law stamped out voter fraud, and supporters of Hillary Clinton are furious. They claim that as many as 300,000 people were unable to vote in Wisconsin due to this good law. That's baloney, of course, as nowhere near 300,000 or even 30,000 were turned away from the polling booths in Wisconsin for lack of a voter ID. Instead, many thousands of Democrats obviously stayed home rather than cast their ballot for Hillary Clinton, whom even Bernie Sanders defeated there. Wisconsin is a mixture of the Rust Belt and sentiments of the Bible Belt, a combination of religious faith and a longing for return of manufacturing jobs. Trump's campaign message resonated perfectly there, where the massive turnout at his rallies confirmed the genuine groundswell of support for him and for down-ballot candidates like Senator Ron Johnson. Nearly three million people cast their ballots in Wisconsin last year, Yet voter turnout overall was down by 91,000 people, as huge numbers of Democrats stayed home, including in the Democratic stronghold of Milwaukee. As with many elections, Trump's final margin of victory was quite close in Wisconsin, less than 23,000 votes. Even a few thousand illegal votes could swing a close election like this or force a recount. But thanks to Wisconsin's strong new voter ID law, not enough illegal votes could possibly have been cast to swing the result to Hillary. Wisconsin's law prevented double voting by out-of-staters, fraudulent votes on behalf of dead people, balloting by illegal aliens, and improper voting by felons. Safeguarding our elections is just as important as securing the entry into government buildings, and the integrity of the presidential election in Wisconsin was what it should have been in every state. 
legal voters decided the outcome there, not the inaccurate polls that predicted Hillary would win it easily. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Do you like what you see at the Trump White House? Will President Trump continue to advance conservative ideals? At phyllisschlafly.com, you gain complete access to Phyllis Schlafly Eagles news updates and commentaries and can track our work on Capitol Hill. Go online often to phyllisschlafly.com. And thanks for listening to the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Talking about the New World Order. This was written in 1988. It's incredible to think about. I mean, they predicted in 30 years, and they were pretty close. I mean, it's here. So he's talking about, you know, some form of world central bank. Let's, you know, the IMF is as good as any. Talking about how the inflation rate, right, that they so desperately need would would now be, uh, you know, you can change it any time. Ah, we need a little more inflation. Lower our exchange rate, right? We need a little less inflation. Raise it and, you know, similar but yet different. One of the great things about it is you don't have to confiscate the money, right? And what I mean by that, remember, I'll use the Russians as the example. I think they had red rubles, or maybe they had blue ones. I forget what it was, and and they needed a, you know, they 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 were they were running out of time. Their fiat money was coming to an end, and you had X amount of days to turn in the red ones for the blue ones. And when you turned in the red ones for the blue ones. Right, you got hit with all the questions like, how did you get all those red ones, right, and all that stuff, and the government in your business, kind of like Greece, right, when they forced all the Greeks to put the money in the bank, same thing. Uh, but then you don't have to get hit with what a devaluation, right? Hey, your ten thousand old ones are worth a thousand new ones with an electronic credit. Don't just say, hey, if you had $10,000 in the bank, well, you still got 10000 electronic credit. How they'll get what they want to achieve is by taking care of the inflation rate for you. Each country could use taxes and public spending to offset temporary falls in demand. But in this example, he's saying that they would have to borrow rather than print money to finance its budget deficit. Now, this was something I didn't think of, right? Because I figured, well, they'll still allow them to spend all they want, right? No, apparently, and I guess this kind of makes sense, right? If you're going to do the exchange rate thing, you got to have some semblance of budget order. And, and, and then you start thinking about now, all of a sudden, we kind of lose even more of our sovereignty, right? This means a big loss of economic sovereignty because now the government no longer really has control. And I guess I would go to the main central bank. It says that what makes it so appealing is that it's actually taking away the sovereignty to begin with. So at least in this guy's argument, he says, hey, one of the great things about this new digital currency 
Is this going to strip away all your sovereignty? And I guess in part of that, I guess when you think about it, maybe some of that isn't such a bad thing, right? Because let's face it, look at what we got today. We've got just the health care part. This thing makes no sense. These are adults that we elected, right? Are we all not kind of embarrassed by it? And it's so funny because people get so upset about it. You know, the I guess the, the Democrats, right, they want everyone to get free health care. I'm, I'm I guess that's their argument. And the other side wants something a little more responsible. But the one thing that I think all of us agree on, this is, this is not sustainable. What we have now is slowly killing the entire country. And I don't mean that literally, I mean obviously, but no pun intended. But yet they can't even sit down in a room together and talk about it. So it almost by default, you're almost like, yeah, well, maybe we shouldn't have sovereignty if we can't even do that. It says that the alternative to preserve policymaking autonomy would involve a new pro, uh, pro I'm going to say this word, proliferation of truly draconian controls on trade and capital flows. This course offers governments an opportunity, I guess, that they could manage exchange rate movements, deploy monetary and fiscal policy without inhibition, and tackle the resulting burst of inflation with prices in income. It's a growth-crippling prospect, but pencil the phoenix for around 2018 and welcome it when it comes. And by the way, he did note in his, his, his article here, remember this was written 1988, that it would probably start as a cocktail of national currencies just as the special drawing rights is today. Right? And this is one of the things that I've been kind of saying is, I think that's going to be the first exchange rate. But then this guy says it'll morph into something else, uh, you know, at least in his eyes, far better. But there it was. And I thought it was interesting because it was 30 years ago that he talked about it. And I know cryptocurrencies have been all the, all the rage, right? And Bitcoin is exploded and I just read in the Wall Street Journal over the weekend two more IPOs for for uh, these coin currencies as they call them uh, and just kind of interesting what the real longer term goal is and the longer term goal is this is this is the going to be the new currency changeover right this is going to be the new Federal Reserve note, but it's got to be so big, right? It's going to be global. And you start thinking about uh, what's happening out there and how the middle class is dying, and, and we have Wall Street in this incredible rally, and, and now all of a sudden the Federal Reserve and all of their comments over the last week or so looks like they're next, right? This is why, you know, one of the things we look at the economic model. We should have inflation right now, but we don't. Wall Street has it, 
but I guess Main Street doesn't. Well, at least the way the Federal Reserve looks at it. Right? And that's not how the economic model was supposed to work. And then someone, uh, uh, Wolf Richter, put this together. Everyone who's watching the stock market, and remember what's going to bring in the cryptocurrency, right? It's going to be some economic event and a, it's, and a not pretty one. Has for their own reason endless optimism, right? Their doom and gloom visions, their bouts of anxiety that would come with trying to sit on the fence until the very last moment, or they, their blase attitude that nothing can go wrong because the Federal Reserve has their back. But now there's the sirens of a tsunami coming. So what is that? Right? We're sitting, I mean, they're broken, right? We know the economic models are broken. Mostly probably because they broke their own economic rules, right? <laughs> right? And then you start thinking about how are we going to usher in what's coming next? Because really when, when you talk about, you know, insurance, Right, that's what you're really talking about, right? I, I'm trying to be prepared for what is coming next, and I think it was really well put about why this will happen because it's going to jumpstart your life, right? It's going to put you back to work. It's going to bring investment back. It's going to bring trade back, and all of these other things, which is what they always promise. And, of course, you think about, you know, the conspiracies, right, the, how the Federal Reserve got started, uh, the confiscation of gold and silver, all the way to World Wars, 9-11, and all these things. Hey, are they doing it on purpose? Is this an orchestrated event, or is it just a comedy of errors or, or somewhere in between? And the answer is it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't. If they're doing it on purpose or if they're doing it on accident, either way, this is what's happening. So we're we're looking at at you know they've been making they've been talking about asset prices being too high lately, and I was just you know to myself I was thinking, well, how much? How, how much higher are they than where they probably should be? Since July of 2012, and by the way, uh, the S&P was about 1,360 uh, today, and we're using the, by the way, we're using the S&P as the example uh, because the Dow really doesn't count because that's really globalist companies. Uh, the S&P is more, I guess, you know, the American exchange piece of it all or at least a lot more of them, and, of course, obviously, a lot more companies. Uh, right now, it's at 2,430. It says that the trailing 12-month earnings per share of all the companies in the S&P 500 index has risen just 12%. So you think 
about that, right? So from 2012 to today, the earnings per share, and the, and the reason why I use this trailing because it's after you you get all the earnings in. This isn't some future earnings number. Has risen just 12%. And I actually disagreed with that number. I'm like, no, it hasn't. But then the article went on to clarify. Or about 2% a year, or barely the rate of inflation, and nothing more. These are not earnings under the generally accepted accounting principles, or what is commonly known as gap earnings. But instead, these are the adjusted earnings as reported by companies to make their earnings look better. Now, way back in the day after the NASDAQ bubble collapsed and all that, all of these companies made big promises they were all going to go to Gap Accounting. So we could never have that bubble like we did before, where all of these companies, essentially what's the difference is the companies with these adjusted earnings, they, they take out all the bad stuff. Well, we had to close stores, and that cost money, but we, you know, that's a one-time thing. Or we had we had this big tax bill, uh, but that's a one-time thing. Or we had to take a big write-down on our assets, but that's a one-time. If we didn't have to do that, things were okay. That's, that's adjusted earnings. Now, to be fair, not all companies do that. Only about 90% of all S&P companies do do that. So you're pretty much almost all of them now. Some of them, to their credit, and I think on a previous show I actually named the ones that, there were so few that did it, I was actually, the na- I could name them on the air. Because I only, I want to say, there's only like 10 or 12 of them that actually use gap earnings anymore. Everybody uses the adjusted rate, and that's what Wall Street propagates, right? This is what they tout. Adjusted earnings are earnings with all the bad stuff out of them. And this is what's gone up by 12% over the last five years. So how, if, if, if the S&P's earnings have only gone up 12%, that would put the S&P at about 1530 How does it get to 2430 <laughs> That's a pretty big difference. And the answer, very simply, is they, they, the only thing that's changed is the what they call the price-to-earnings ratio. In other words, you're paying in 2012, you're paying about $15 a share. That was the average for the S&P. And what that meant was if the company made a dollar, their shares were worth $15. Today, if it makes a dollar, their shares are worth almost $27. So when you look at what's happened again, we put a rule in place that said all of these companies were supposed to go to Gap Accounting. Now, they reported, now in fairness, there is a Gap number. They just don't talk about it. I guess that was the other part of the rule that they forgot to say. And oh, by the way, that can be the only number that they use. But now they find out 
that nobody's report. Well, they 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 reported to somebody, but nobody actually uses the number. And we are now back to levels, pretty much right where we were the last time when the tech bubble blew up. Is this going to be the precursor to the electronic currency? I don't know, but it's certainly a candidate. Patriot Radio News Hour final segment coming up. Final segment on a Monday. You know, we never learn. All the rules that were put in place after the Great Depression took a long time then. They finally got rid of them all, and they blew it up again. Now here we sit, and we're staring at another look, what appears anyway to be another tech bubble. But now it's the whole, it's all of Wall Street. And remember, the economics models are broken. Wall Street says there's inflation. The problem is there's not any inflation in earnings. And really, I guess, in our lifetime, whether we agree with it or not, there's no inflation to speak of in here. And, and of course, that would mean don't raise rates. But yet the Fed is now trying to raise rates because they say that, well, Wall Street's run away again. And then you start thinking about what that means for the metals. And there was an article out talking about the flash crashes and what this guy wanted. Bloomberg's, uh, uh, this was Bloomberg's macro commentator, Mark Cudmore. Okay, so this is the guy that did it. He works for Bloomberg. And he called the crashes justified. Okay, I don't know how you can say that, but that's what he said. And he says, for certain reasons, he called it the triple whammy, which was the dollar was weaker, which, again, right, dollar weakness has always been good for gold and silver. The dollar's like below 96 right now. It's been falling pretty much all year. And, and again, the economic models are broken. Oh, and then the cryptocurrencies, right? The, the I guess the the rally of Bitcoin, I guess, is what he's referring to. And then the uh, what it was the last one. Oh, and the blowing out of other asset classes. And he said that gold and silver have largely gone nowhere. Now, gold, even with this pullback, is still up like six percent. But I guess that's nowhere anymore. But anyway, here's what he said. He says that the the correlation to gold and silver to real rates is finally nearing completion. We are pro- approaching the point where both higher yields and lower yields have the potential to boost the asset class. In other words, so what he's saying is the 10-year note, remember, uh, we were talking a lot about that 10-year note getting below 2.1. It's now rallied to 2.37, 2.38, got as high as 2.39. Not, I mean, no huge move, but nonetheless, according to this guy, this is what's been holding back gold and silver, is the rise of real rates, which he now says the sweet spot is over and that any additional rise in rates or conversely any fall in rates is now going to benefit gold and silver. 
I don't know. Sounds great, sure. Uh, based on that argument, they should have never fell in the first place. <laughs> but nonetheless, they did. Uh, quick look here at the markets again. Uh, gold at twelve hundred and twelve, silver at fifteen fifty. U.S. Silver Eagles are at three seventy-five a roll. You buy them by the case, ninety-two fifty. On the gold side, U.S. ten-dollar Liberties at six sixty. 800 951 and 92. We'll be back tomorrow.